Well, we welcome you to our midweek service, and thank you so much for tuning in. And please encourage other people to do that, too. If uh, anything we say blesses you and you think someone else ought to hear it, then send them the link or share it or whatever you need to do. Encourage them so that we're all unified on all of this. We are in Psalm 95, so if you'll go ahead and um, turn there, I would appreciate it. And... um, Since it is Wednesday night, I just want to remind you to get a newsletter. You can go to gracewayokc.org, and you can find under, I think it's under resources, you can find the newsletter for the week, and it'll uh, tell you about offerings, continue your giving. That's very important. And uh, it'll also have uh, prayer needs and prayer requests. You can also find those when you go to our uh, Facebook page. And uh, you can find um, those and find things about what's going on in the church or going on with people. Those are just so important. People need your prayer. And also, uh, try to find out a way to minister. Don't just, um, you know, go through the motions on any of that. That's not the best way of saying that. I don't know why I said it. But um, put some feet to your prayers, let's say. Is that a good way of putting it? And uh, if there's somebody you're particularly burdened about, maybe they're in the hospital, maybe they've had surgery, maybe they're going through grief, maybe there's something upcoming in their life that's joyous, a marriage or the birth of a child or a new job, um, we ought to be involved in each other's life. And you can send them a note or a text or something like that and congratulate them and just stay up with one another. And um, I... uh, appreciate uh, you doing that so much and it helps us during these weird 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 times to uh, take advantage of technology in order to stay together Um, we opened up Sunday school this past week and uh, it went well and if you haven't been a part of that I hope you can join us this week Um, I understand that there are some of you with health problems and vulnerabilities where, I mean, I think about Brenda May, she can't put weight on her foot for several weeks. Well, it's going to be hard to come to Sunday school on that. And uh, then there are other people, I think about Tylene with some of her health problems. She doesn't necessarily need to be in a small group, in a small room, and made vulnerable. And so we understand those kind of things. And so we're going ahead and doing the video that's being aired on Sunday nights of the Sunday school lesson so that people like that can keep up with this. Or you can keep up with it whenever, if you're out of town or something like that, you can watch it and know what your Sunday school class has uh, studied. And that is another part of our unity. And so um, as we do those things and as we adapt to whatever uh, seems to be happening. We've opened up some on Sunday morning. We're not opening up some of the other ones because the numbers around here with COVID are uh, really spiking right now. And so we'll just kind of play it cool for a little bit. But in the meantime, we'll keep doing what we've been doing. And we do that in order to be a blessing to you. And then we encourage you to stay engaged and share that with other people. That's what we do as a church. And this is all part of our worship. That's our segue into Psalm 95. We've been talking about worship. And I have a a problem that I would like to kind of address uh, 
And I think you'll see where I'm coming from. Worship is not just a Sunday morning thing. It's not just a Sunday thing. In fact, I'll go so far as to say that every part of our life is supposed to be worshipful for the glory of the Lord. And every conversation that we have, there, there ought to be something about it that points people to Jesus or spotlights the Lord. It ought to be that we view life through the lenses of worship. I had to uh, go to Dean McGee yesterday and uh, my neuro-ophthalmologist retired, so I had to go to another one. Uh, how do you pick a neuro-ophthalmologist? Well, in Oklahoma, it's easy. There's only one now. And so uh, I went with him, got established, and they do all this work with your vision and tell you things you already know. Um, my, some of you uh, ask about how my eyes are doing, and um, I, I, I know what you mean by that, uh, and there's no you know, beef with that or anything. But just to be clear, actually, my problem, my eyes are fine. It's the optic nerve that carries information from my eye to my brain. That's what's damaged, and they don't know why. It can't carry all of the information that my eyes see, so my vision is not clear. And uh, I get tired of going, you know, and paying a lot of money for all of these extremely expensive tests, and then have them look at me and go, well, we don't know why it's happening, and we don't know what we can do, and we can't regenerate nerves. So uh, hang in there. Uh, that, that gets kind of old. And uh, yesterday I had to go through all of that. And there's a lot of bright lights and dilation and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And it, some of it hurts and some of it is just a hassle. And then it takes a long time to get over that and to be able to uh, see clearly again. I'm doing much, much better today. Thank you. And uh, that, that's a good thing. But um, when I thought about uh, the situation, why am I going through this, and what is happening, and why can't anybody give me any answers? Why won't God heal me? I pray about that quite a bit, as you can imagine, and I would appreciate your prayers too. And I think about, you know, when is technology going to advance to where they can do something about it? Because uh, according to the experts, they're so close so very close, and I'd like to nudge them a little bit closer, all of that. Now, here's why I told you all of that. First of all, so you can pray and just to update you on those kind of things. Um, oh, the good news, the uh, neurologist uh, did say that my eyes do not show any signs of diabetes. That's the second leading cause of blindness. So this is not diabetic related. That's really good news. And the other thing that he said is, while they can't make my vision any better, he said the good news is in the last three years, it hasn't gotten any worse. Okay, well, we'll have to take that. And when the Bible tells you that in everything give thanks, that means that even in all of that, I'm supposed to be cheerful and thankful right? I'm supposed to rejoice. Is this something to rejoice over? Not normally. What would rejoicing do if I were able to do that? It would set me apart. And it's an act of worship. 
Whenever you can go through tragedy, heartache, disappointment, setbacks, betrayals, those type of things, and you can keep your focus upon the Lord and give him glory, you are automatically set apart. In fact, I'm going to say if you could do that through your trials, if I could do that through my trials, that number one, it would open up doors to witness like never before. I remember Miss Dixie. Some of you remember her. She had to go through chemotherapy. And uh, I said, oh, Miss Dixie, I'm so sorry you have to do that. And she held up her hand and put it on my lips. She goes, shh. She goes, Brother Greg, I get to witness to people I would never know if I weren't going through this. She goes, I'm fine. I just want to be a witness for God. That's why we always admired her. That's why we loved her. And that's why she was so effective in her service to the Lord during all of her days. That is why God puts us through some of these things so that we can actually worship him in times where people do not expect us to worship. Now, you've got neighbors and family members that at 10.15 on Sunday morning, they expect you to be at Graceway. They expect you more than maybe even the church does because that's who you are, and they expect you to be here. But whenever you can take a tragedy or a trial and turn it into praise to the Lord, now we've got something because they're not expecting that. Who does that? What kind of crazy person is doing that? You know, Paul said, we're fools for Christ's sake. And I saw a bumper sticker one time. It said, I'm a fool for Christ's sake. Whose fool are you? And the truth of the matter is we really are in, in that regard a quote-unquote a fool for something or someone. It might be a cause. It might be just simply put, you're either a fool for Christ or you're a fool for the devil. And he's making a fool of you. But uh, as we think about being a fool for Christ, that really was not a derogatory term, not from Paul's standpoint. He was taking something that the world meant to be an insult, and he was wearing it as a badge of honor. In fact, when you read in the book of Acts, did you know the term Christian was initially a derogatory term? Oh, look at those little Christ walking around. Ha, ha, ha. They think they're like Jesus and all of that. Well, it stuck, and we wore it as a badge of honor. And we say, I'm glad to be a Christian. Something that the world thought was foolish, idiotic, stupid, moronic. And we wore it as a badge of honor because we're glad to be fools for Christ's sake. And you're going to look foolish if you really are a worshiper of God. Again, I hope we worship on Sundays. But the Bible emphasizes that all of our life should be an act of worship. That's why we pray. That's why we give. That's why we serve. That's why we evangelize. That's why we speak up for Jesus and put in a good word for him. When the world is blaspheming, blaspheming him, we lift up his name. You getting what I'm talking about? This is a 24-7 type thing. This is something that ought to be in your home. I'm afraid that one of the reasons we are Losing a generation now, and I'm speaking about the church at large, losing a generation, I think it's because we live such hypocritical, ungodly lives at home, and then we come to church, 
and we act like we are all that in a bag of chips, right? And our kids look and they go, which is the real you? Which is the real person? And so we wonder what happens and we wonder why the disconnect. Well, if you were riding your bike and somebody were able to take a, a good-sized stick and jam it into the spokes of the front wheel while you were riding it, I know one thing, you were going to have an abrupt stop, and that back wheel is going to come up, and you're going to be tossed off, and you're going to wonder why you're hurt, have broken bones, abrasions, and why you can't go anywhere, and that front tire on your bicycle is going to be all messed up because of what happened. And to me, that's the analogy of what happens when people are members of a church, they attend a church, they give to a church, and they act one way at church, but they act completely different before they get out of the parking lot, or they act different when they're at home, or they say, oh, we worshiped, we put in our time with the Lord, they better not ask for anything else from us. Your kids learn after a while what's important. And what is valuable. And the early church, they were willing to die for their Lord. And uh, we don't even want to give him a Wednesday night. Uh, These kind of things are killing us. And so we've got to set our minds. And I'm calling upon you to set your heart upon being a worshiper outside of church. Okay? That's where the impact is going to be. Don't get me wrong. I didn't say don't come to church. I'm just saying that you need to carry what you learn in church and what happens here ought to be the way you live when you're outside of church. Here's our scripture, Psalm 95, 7 to 11. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. That's a repeat from last time. Okay, Today, if you will hear his voice... Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. Mm. For 40 years, I was grieved with that generation. Oh, Lord, please don't say that about our generation. And said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts. That does sound like us, doesn't it? And they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, this is making a reference to, of course, the promised land, the wilderness, coming out of slavery into Egypt, and that first generation that didn't get to enter the promised land. When God says, I swore in my wrath, they would not enter my rest. Not even Moses got to enter into the rest of the promised land, that place where they could settle down, that place where they could live and raise their families, and and that land would be theirs. That's what he means by rest. You can sit back and go, ah, this is my farm, this is my house, my livestock, my family, and and not in an arrogant way, but just to, to rest in all of that. To know you're no longer a slave like you were in Egypt. To know that you're no longer a nomad like you were setting up a tent and moving and setting up, pitching the tent and then sleeping and staying there for a while and then picking it up again and moving. No more of that resting, security is the idea there. Now, it's not talking about salvation or Moses is in hell. 
Because that first generation, only Joshua and Caleb got to enter the promised land. Not even Moses got to enter. And why is that? Because Moses, like all of the rest of them, failed to believe and obey God. Now Moses' thing seems rather minor compared to the other people. The other people just flat out rebelled and and, uh, spoke against God and spoke against God's authority, Moses, and all of that kind of thing. Moses, well, you remember he uh, was told to go out to a rock and strike it, and then water came gushing out of it, enough to feed uh, about a million Israelis and their livestock. A lot of water came out of that rock. Paul tells us in uh, his letter to the Corinthians that that rock followed them, and the rock was Christ. Well, here's where Moses messed up. The second time, God said, go speak to the rock. And Moses was so angry, you know what he did? He struck the rock. Why does that matter? Well, if the rock is Christ, how many times, we're New Testament people, how many times was Christ to be stricken? Once. Moses messed with the picture. See, when God gives a picture of something, he wants you to give an accurate picture. He doesn't want you to do it your own way and do it the way you think is right. He wants the picture to be accurate. That's why we don't take the Lord's Supper with Dr. Pepper and potato chips. Oh, it's just a symbol. No, it's a picture. And we want to do it right. The unleavened bread, the body of Christ, the sinless body of Christ, and the fruit of the vine, the blood of the Lord Jesus that paid for our sins. That's why we don't sprinkle when we baptize. Oh, it doesn't matter. It's just a symbol. No, it's a picture of the death and the burial and resurrection of Christ for the gospel. Don't mess with the picture that God gives you. So these people didn't get to enter into the promised land. The next generation did, along with Joshua and Caleb. And then subsequent generations after that, if this is written by David, this is a long time after that, and yet the warning is still the same. Don't be like that first generation. And the warning is for us today. This is why this is preserved in the word. Don't be like that first generation. They saw the miracle of redemption when they were brought out of Egypt. They saw that first Passover and their firstborn was spared. They saw the Red Sea as they walked through on dry land. They saw that. They literally ate the manna. They literally ate the quail. They drank water from the rock in the midst of the desert. They saw all of that. And yet they didn't get to enter the promised land. You know, when I think about that, it makes me sad. Some of you have seen miracles. Some of you have seen answered prayers. Some of you have had the privilege to be set, uh, to sit under some of the finest Bible teachers that have ever walked the earth. Many of them are with the Lord now. And what are you doing with it? And if it's not doing anything in your life, then why in the world should God waste time and resources to invest in you if you're not going to pass it on if you're not going to do anything with it this is why we can't be passionate or can't be casual about church but we ought to be passionate about our church this is why we can't be casual about the gospel we ought to be passionate about the gospel it's an act of worship and our god is worthy of our worship and we don't want to be like that first generation and miss the boat, so to speak, and not enter into the abundant life. And see, I believe that the entering of Canaan is not going to heaven. 
I believe that the entering into Canaan is a picture of entering the abundant life that Jesus wants to give us. And uh, the reason I believe that is because when I get to heaven, my battles are going to be over. But when they got into Canaan, their battles had just begun. Heaven's not going to be a place of fighting and battling. They were warned if they sinned, they would be cast out of Canaan. Hey, when I get to heaven, I'm never going to be leaving the presence of God. But you can be kicked out of Canaan. Canaan's not a picture of heaven. It's a picture of the abundant, victorious life. Living in the power of God. Fighting battles and winning battles. And living in the resources of God. And most Christians will fall short of that. And not enter into the rest and the blessing of the abundant life of the Lord. And that's sad, isn't it? Very, very sad. Now, why does that not happen? Well, number one would be no relationship. Some people go to church all the time and they're not really saved. They don't really have a relationship with the Lord. And I get that out of verse 7. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. You see, if you're not one of his, then you really can't worship. So that's not going to happen until you repent of your sins and trust that Christ died on the cross to pay for those sins in full. And you trust in him 100%, not him plus a little something else, but him and him alone for your salvation and surrender to him as Lord and then you enter into a rest because he saves you and all of your sins are forgiven and you are kept by him you need to have a relationship with God to say he is not just a God or even the God but he is my God if you're not sure about that you need to talk to somebody I'll be happy to sit down and talk with you and pray with you about it and I certainly won't condemn you because I spent the first two years of my Christian life in uh, tremendous doubt and I can share with you some things that I learned from the word of God and help you but relationship is one reason why aren't there more worshipers no relationship with God and again what John Piper says the reason missions exist is because worship doesn't and missions and evangelism is to bring people in to make them worshipers of God okay that's number one I've said number two the reason we don't live a life of worship, I've written down the word procrastination because there was something that struck me. The next phrase says today. Today, if you will hear his voice. Today. Not next Sunday. Not only on Sunday. Not just Christmas and Easter. Not just at special events or during tragedies or those type of things. You know, on 9-11, when that happened the next week, churches were packed all over the nation but it only took about two weeks for it to go back to normal see that's not worship that's not the way true believers live and God is speaking to us through his word and by the presence of his spirit not just Sunday not just Wednesday night but when every day you ought to spend time with the Lord every day. You ought to be reading his word every day. You ought to be having your life transformed by his power uh, and the renewed mind of Romans 12, 1 and 2. Every day of your life because every day is a day of worship and you need to hear his voice through his word and you need to do it today. But you know what? 
You're going to read his word tomorrow. And you really mean it. You're going to get to it tomorrow. Well, this just hadn't been a good week and I got a trip coming up. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to be, uh, heaven forbid we should go to church or read our Bibles on vacation, right? We're getting away from everything. And so we're going to get to it next week or when we get back or when things settle down or when the kids get a little older or when we have more money or when we have more time. And that tomorrow never comes because worship is always a today proposition. Okay, Number three, because of unreceptive hearts. I was uh, this summer, we had a, a dry patch, a dry spell. And I went out to uh, water some of the stuff in our landscape. And you know what I noticed when I took the hose out there? When I would put the water on there, before it could ever soak in, it was running off and running into parts that I didn't want to water. Driveway and that kind of thing. I had to kind of spray it a little bit, let it set for a while, and then come back to it and spray it again because the ground was so hard it wasn't receiving the water. I think that's the way it is. A lot of you can't stand a sermon too long and too boring and too technical and all of that. No, the truth of the matter is your heart's not ready for what is being preached. Some of you have trouble in Sunday school and you just can't remember what the teacher said and what was going on and you can sit in there for an hour and when you go out you can't tell anybody what was going on. Why? Because you had a boring teacher? Probably not. We've got some great teachers. You know what the truth is? If your heart's not ready to receive the Word of God, if it is a hardened heart, it doesn't matter if you had Billy Graham talking to you, you wouldn't be able to get it. Oh, you may admire Billy Graham, and you may brag about meeting Billy Graham, but you didn't meet with God. And it didn't change your life because the Word of God has not transformed you by the renewing of your mind. You see what I mean? And so we uh, find a lot of people, they're enamored by Christian celebrities, but their life isn't changed. And they go through the motions of things, and they sit in church, and they have perfect attendance, but their heart's not changed, their life is not changed, their outlook is not changed, their testimony is not changed, their fruitfulness is not changed. Unchanged people don't meet with God because you cannot meet with God and remain unchanged. Read Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah saw the Lord, and the first thing he says is, Woe is me, I'm unclean, and I come from a generation that is unclean. And he knew he needed to be cleansed. You can no more meet with God and be unchanged than you can be run over by a Mack truck and have it not affect you. It affects you. God changes. We've got to have receptive hearts. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness. And number four, we don't worship because we're grieving the Lord by doubting Him. By doubting Him. You know, there's so many promises in the Word of God that we don't even know, that we never claim. And whenever we're confronted with a situation where we have an opportunity to worship God by trusting Him and testifying of that, you know what happens? We doubt Him. We doubt His Word. We doubt His character, just like they did in the wilderness. God had done so much for them. And what do they say every time something comes up? What did you do? Bring us out here to die? There's an old song that the Imperials did years ago that said, He didn't bring us this far to leave us. 
He didn't teach us to swim to let us drown. He didn't build his home in us to move away. He didn't lift us up to let us down. Well, it's kind of a simple song and not very deep on anything, but it's true, isn't it? And sometimes we get to the point where all of our faith statements and all of our doctrine and all of our knowledge and all of that boils down to something like this. God whispering to us, are you going to believe me in this situation? Then worship me and worship me no matter what. And in spite of the way you feel and in spite of your circumstances, worship me in this situation. Worship me not tomorrow, not someday. Worship me today and worship me with a tender heart and believe what I have to say. Boy, without faith, it's impossible to please God. My father-in-law used to say, a little bit of faith will take your soul to heaven. A lot of faith will bring heaven to your soul. I think he's right about that. And I think there are a lot of Christians today that are not effective in their witness because there's not much heaven in our souls or in our lives. People see a lot of hellishness, but they don't see a lot of heaven. What about you? He said, when your fathers tested me and when they tried me. You know what that means? Every time something would come up, they were putting God on trial as if God somehow was, had been unfaithful. As if God somehow had lied as if God were not telling the truth as if God had an ulterior motive testing him and trying him as though he were some type of criminal is what that means even though they saw my work didn't really seem to do any good and so what happened he said for 40 years I was grieved with that generation. Have you ever wondered if God's going to have to skip over this generation to get to a generation he could use? I pray not. We need to be on our face before God, serious about the Lord. And then the last thing is, we don't worship the way we ought to because we're just ignorant of God's ways. No, I didn't say you weren't saved. And no, I didn't say you don't know about God I'm just simply saying you, after a while, you find yourself not knowing the ways of God. Oh, we know the ways of the world. We know it's a dog-eat-dog world. What was it? Uh, on one show, a guy said, uh, it's a dog-eat-dog world, and I'm wearing milk-bone underwear. I mean, that's the kind of stuff we face, and people can see that in us. And they see the culture in us, and they see all of that. We know movies. We know sports. We know music. We know all of those things. But we don't really know God. And we may know some things about his word, but we don't do like the psalmist always said, teach me your ways, O Lord. How do you work, God? I want to be able to see God in situations. I want to be able to see something that the world would call a tragedy and look at it through different eyes. You know why? Because that's the way the cross was. If you looked at the cross through the eyes of the world, you would look at that and they would have said, injustice, it's a tragedy, it's a bloody mess, it's horrible what has happened. But see, you and I glory in the cross. Why? Because we see it through the eyes of God. These are the ways of God. A substitute dying on behalf of the guilty. That is a glorious thing. And so Paul said, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, we see things differently because we know the ways of God. And the world looked at that and say, how could God allow his son to be crucified like a criminal? And they rejected the whole message of the gospel. But those of us who believe, we look and say, this is the way God works. I want to tell you there are a lot of things in your life 
that if you could see them through the ways of God, you wouldn't see the tragedy, you wouldn't see the letdown, you would see him and you would see his ways and you would rejoice and it would cause you to worship. And maybe that's why Job was able to say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know why? Because what his wife saw as something that was no good and evil, curse God and die. Job saw it through the ways of God and ended up being a worshiper. May God grant that our lives, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it, might be opportunities for us to worship and testify of our Lord, not just in here, not just when Brother Dale's leading the singing, not just when there's a sermon being preached, but everywhere we go and in every situation, may we turn those things into praise and into worship and into witnessing and seeing the ways of God because we've learned how he works and how he operates. Okay, there's enough for you to chew on for a while. I know it's enough for me too because do I do all of this? Not on your life. The Lord is still teaching me and working on me. And he's doing that in you too. And oh, when we start getting this, how different our lives and how powerful and victorious our lives will be. So God bless you and thank you so much for taking time to listen to this and watch this video.